Good morning. I've so appreciated how you've uh, worshipped together today, uh, the spirit with which you welcomed each other, the spirit with which you welcomed us, and the way in which you've uh, uh, embraced our worship before God, the way that you've sung to Him, the way we've prayed together. Um, and all of it's been edifying to us, and I trust that God has been glorified in what we've done together today. Thank you so much for letting us be in your midst together this week, and we are looking forward very much to the next few days together and appreciate the hospitality that you've shown us already uh, since our arrival. I want to invite you to turn to John, the second chapter. If you'll open there, please. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're going to read about uh, the first of the signs that J- Jesus uh, performed here in the second chapter of John. We looked at, during our Bible class hour at uh, an event or events from uh, the very last week of Jesus' life, in fact, the very last night of his earthly ministry. And here we're going back to the beginning of uh, the disciples and their journey with him, uh, the very opening events as Jesus is... Uh, the, the, the 12 encounter with Jesus as we read here in John, uh, the second chapter. So join with me in reading the first 11 verses of John chapter 2. It says, And on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, The mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And so Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man serves the good wine first. And then when men have drunk freely, then that which is poor. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Uh, This... uh, this event where Jesus turns the water into wine at Cana of Galilee is, is actually a part of a sequence, if we go back to the first chapter of John, that is, uh, that is ending a week. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this in a moment, but uh, John in his gospel uh, does some things in the opening of his gospel that are intended to be echoes of Genesis. Uh, he opens the gospel with talking about what happened in the beginning. In the beginning, we read in Genesis about how God created the heavens and the earth. And we read in Genesis 1 and 2 about how God did that with words, how he spoke the worlds into existence. And 
John is going to make the point in the opening of his gospel that in, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And he makes the point that, uh, that while, while the Lord executed his purpose with words, I mean, Jesus was the executor of his will or of his, of his purposes. Everything that God has ever wanted to say to man, communicate to man, what, what he was all about in the beginning is all comprehended. In, uh, in what we learn about, what we see fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the Word become flesh, um, as John is going to show us in, the, in, his, in his gospel. And there, is a, there seems to be a parallel in, uh, in the, the opening account of the book of Genesis and in the, in the, the fact that over the course of one week, over those six days and the day of rest, uh, God brings the world into existence. And what we read about in John's gospel the story of a new beginning. And so John, as he writes about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, gives us a picture of what happens the first week. Uh, this, is, this is a new beginning in Jesus Christ. And it, it, it starts with the witness of, 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 of John the Baptist who first saw his light and who then uh, begins to witness that light to uh, to, to his disciples that then connect themselves to Jesus, and all of that culminates as he sequences these days uh, with, with what happens on the third day after uh, the days that we read about in John chapter 1, which would have been the end of that week um, with this wedding feast that takes place in Cana of Galilee. So we're reading about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the very first week of that ministry, and this sign that Jesus performed where he turned the water into wine. Have you ever puzzled a little over this miracle? It's different than any of the other miracles that Jesus performed. I mean, I know that they're all unique. But uh, there, there's, there's something about this, this miracle, that, this sign, that is a little puzzling to me because in some ways it seems a little unworthy of a miracle. I mean... These, this was just refreshment at a wedding. The wine gave out. And, Jesus, and, and Mary brings the problem to Jesus. And the very first miracle that Jesus performed is where he makes refreshments. I don't mean to belittle, the, the, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I just want us to, to, to see that there's a difference in this miracle and the other signs that Jesus performed. This, is, this isn't the healing of a leper. This isn't somebody who had been lame all their life that he made to walk again. This isn't a blind man that he's caused to see. It's not, it's not like the, the resurrection of Lazarus from the tomb. This is, this, is, uh, this is wine at a wedding that's given out and there's not enough to, to last, sustain the feast. And so Jesus makes wine so that the feast can continue. And so the, 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 the family, especially the, the bridegroom who is responsible for providing the wine, is not embarrassed by what happens at this event. And so it, it's, a, it's, it's different than the other signs that Jesus has performed because in some ways it seems, at least on, on the surface, to be a little less, uh, less important than other miracles that Jesus performed. But I want you to see something that Mary does here and the way that Jesus responds to Mary that, that teaches us an important principle that the disciples learn at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, and we, whether we are new in our service or have served him a long time, it's a lesson that we need to hear. 
whether our burdens are big or small, we can bring them to Him. Whether our burdens are big or small, we can bring them to Him. I so appreciate how Mary, the mother of Jesus, teaches us that in in what she does here. And, and, And though this seems like, on the surface, to be a small burden, to be a little thing that the wine is running out. And it's not even their problem. And this isn't, this isn't Mary's wedding. This isn't one of her children's wedding. This is just a wedding feast. Maybe they are relatives of either the, 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 the groom or the bride or, or, or perhaps both of them. And so maybe there is some fa- familial connection here. But, but that she's getting involved in something that's really not even like directly her problem it, it, and taking on a burden that's not her own. But she, she brings that burden to Jesus. But here's, here's an observation that I want to make about burdens, about little burdens that I know has been true in my life, I expect is true in your life too. Isn't it so that little burdens have a way of escalating into big messes? Isn't it so how little crises have a way of like multiplying and becoming many crises? Or we have a way of taking like something that we're missing, something that's out of sorts, something that's wrong, and all of a sudden it escalates into something that's huge, into bad choices. Um, There's no wine here. But, but, But think about other gaps in your life or things missing in your life and how they've escalated into something more. Maybe it was no friend. And loneliness had the consequence or had the effect of causing you to make some bad choices because you just wanted a friend or friends. And so maybe you made some compromises about your values in, in the pursuit of some friendship or some belonging or someone that would accept you in some way. Maybe it's no job. Maybe it's that I can't see my future. I can't, I can't see what tomorrow looks like. And so that thing missing in my life, that, that thing that is small, it might may be small in other people's eyes, like what? You've got all, all, all kinds of things in front of you, but we just can't see it. And so the fact that there's no future means that we make some kind of, we make some kind of poor choice. Uh, uh, maybe it is that, there's, that, there, that we, we look at our talents and we can't figure out like what we're good at or what we can do. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that I'm not popular. Or maybe it's that I'm not wealthy. But maybe it, whatever it is, it's just the, it's just the case that, that when we're missing things, those things that we can't see or those things that we don't have, the solution that evades us has a way of, of, of blossoming, of growing up into something that's big that started out as something that's small. And what, what Barry teaches us here is that whether that burden that we have is is, is big or, or, or small, we can bring that to Him and find that Jesus cares about that, find that, that He will get involved. Now, I don't, know, I don't think that Mary was expecting that Jesus would do something miraculous here. He's not done anything miraculous before. This is the first sign that He's ever done. But I tell you what Mary must have known about her son is that her son was the kind of fellow that cared about people's burdens. He was the kind of person who was generous, he was the kind of person who was merciful, who was gracious. 
And when someone had a problem or someone had a crisis, that he was not afraid to get involved. He was not afraid to, 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 to dig in, to roll up his sleeves and to do what he could to help. Mary seems to have that kind of heart. She was appropriately chosen, was she not? to be the mother of this Jesus. Uh, I mean, here, here's, a, here's a woman who cares about other people's burdens, who shows mercy and who shows grace, who has pity and who has a servant's heart, and she knows that her son has that too. And so she brings it to him, and he responds in a way that's even more than she would have expected. She knows he's going to do something. She doesn't know what that something is. And we find that whether our burdens are big or small, we can bring them to him. Brothers and sisters, I want us to appreciate that gift. What do you got on your shoulders today? I mean, what's that sack of rocks you're dragging around? What, what is it, what's the load that you're carrying that you're not talking to him about? What, what, what is it that's keeping you awake at night? I mean, what, what is the hole that's in your heart right now? Why aren't you bringing it to him? Don't you see he cares? His mama knew he cared, and, and so she brings that burden to him, and he gets involved. And he will get involved in our stuff too. It's, it's, it's the, the very first week of his ministry, he's teaching us that lesson that we can bring our burdens to him, and we can know that he, that he cares. Here's a second message that I want us to get from this wonderful sign. And it's again a lesson that we learn from Mary. Mary takes on a problem that is not her problem. I love how she does it discreetly. Uh, you know, sometimes folks hear about problems, they hear about burdens, and uh, they end up making the crisis worse. I, I mean, just think, uh, just think about like Mary when she comes to Jesus and she says they have no wine. I mean, she is uh, uh, the, the bridegroom and the, uh, the master of the, of the ceremonies, the, the, the one who's the, the, the head waiter here, they, they don't even know about the crisis. They never discover it. This, is all happens, uh, this all happens under their radar. And so Mary comes, and you can imagine quietly, she says to Jesus, they have no wine. The disciples know what's going on, the, the servants. And, and maybe that's Mary's connection. Maybe she's connected to the servants there. And she finds out the predicament they're in because they're, they're so worried that the family's going to be embarrassed by what, what's happened here. But, uh, but she tries to do it discreetly, but she doesn't say, hey, folks, have y'all heard there's no more wine? I mean, she doesn't do anything to humiliate the family or embarrass the family. She doesn't start gossiping about the fact that there is no wine and how terrible. She doesn't wring her hands and she doesn't make the problem worse is what I want us to appreciate. She's looking for a way that she can make it better. She cares about this family. She cares about their crisis. And she's trying to do what she can as a woman discreetly to help with this problem. And the wonderful thing that we see from Mary's example here that we can, that we can embrace ourselves is that because He cares, we can too. Because He cares, we can too. Because it is the fact that whether our burdens are big or small, we can take them to Jesus. We can not only do that with our burdens, but we can do that with other people's burdens too. Isn't that great? I mean, you and I have access to the high priest. You and I have access to the king of kings. You and I are marching to Zion where he reigns. We are a part of his kingdoms. We, we, kingdom. We are his brothers and sisters. We are children of God. And we have the privilege of not only bringing to him our loading and our burden and knowing that he cares and knowing that he is 
that He's advocating on our behalf, and so we can advocate on other people's behalf as well. We can carry to Him their burdens, take on problems that aren't our own. And so I could be like Mary in that same, in that same way. We had a, a sweet lady, who uh, Ronnie, who uh, came to uh, the congregation back in Vestavia. Uh, probably uh, it's been a couple months ago now. And uh, uh, she moved to Birmingham from the Dallas area, but she's ultimately she, she came from, from India about five years ago. She was a Hindu and is now a believer. And uh, her, her daughter, Siri, was uh, seeking to... Uh, um, to come here on a, on a visa so that she could uh, pursue her education at UAB uh, in, uh, in the Birmingham area. And so she wanted to go to school there, but she was really nervous about her, her visa uh, interview and about whether or not she'd be permitted to come. And, and uh, uh, Siri is not yet a believer. She comes from a, from a Hindu heritage, and so she, but she was very nervous about her interview, and so... Uh, when brothers and sisters in the congregation learned about Ronnie's uh, daughter coming from India and, and, the, and, and her interview and her nervousness about it, there were 32 of our brothers and sisters uh, uh, texted a prayer to Ronnie that she could send to Siri about her interview that she was going to have with the, uh, with, with, with the immigration uh, people with, uh, about her visa. And, and, and we all got a chance to send that to her the very weekend before uh, she, she had her interview. And so when that, when that Monday came and uh, Siri went in for her interview, everybody that was in front of her got rejected for their visa. And so she was just really thinking there wasn't going to be any kind of chance. And lo and behold, when she, when she had her, her visa interview, uh, she was, it was very brief and she was allowed to come. And Siri has now been in the States for, well, early enough to start this semester at, at UAB. Now, I, I, we didn't know how God was going to answer that prayer for Siri and for, uh, and for Ronnie. But we, but we did know this, that God was going to hear our prayer and that God was going to do something better than what we expected because that is the habit of God, isn't he? Isn't it the habit of God? I mean, he doesn't do just what we pray. God does better than we pray when we pray to him. And, and, and here, here we see that modeled in this example of, of what happens with Mary and what happens at this feast, that Jesus does better than she asked. She asked Him to get involved. She brings this burden to Him that is not her own burden. And when she does that, she finds out that because, because Jesus cares, she can care too. And what a, great, what a great blessing that can make us to our friends who don't know the Lord, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family. Because... If God is our Father, He owns everything. And if He owns everything, guess what? All of those resources are at the disposal of us who are His children. So let's ask Him. Let's, let's beseech Him. Let's entreat Him. Because we know that He cares. We can care too. One of the, uh, one of the things I love about this story is, uh, is how it is that Jesus demonstrates in his care for uh, this, uh, this family who is going to be potentially impacted by this crisis, how Jesus uh, uh, models here what he's going to do in the whole of his, of his ministry. Uh, 
it, it, it appears to be the case that uh, the bridegroom is the one who was responsible for providing refreshments for the feast. Um, that seems to be indicated in Jesus' response to Mary when she comes to him and, and says they have no wine. Uh, it, it, Jesus' response might seem a little confusing at first. He, 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 I, he says to her, you know, woman, what do I have to do with you? I think it's a little bit like mother, what am I going to do with you? I think, that, I think that's the, 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 the flavor of feel of what he says to her. But then he says, my hour has not yet come. I mean, this is not my wedding. This, I, this, I'm not the bridegroom here. Now, I, in, in the story of the gospel, Jesus is going to be a bridegroom. Uh, he, there is going to be a marriage feast, but this isn't, this isn't his wedding. This is somebody else's wedding. But in the exchange that takes place between the head waiter and, uh, and, and the, the bridegroom as well, we, we get an indication of what must have been the custom because when the head waiter is given the wine, the water that's been turned into wine by the servants, when he tastes it, he immediately goes and confronts the bridegroom. Like, you've done something that is inappropriate here. You've done something that's, that's, not, good, uh, that's not good etiquette. Uh, you, you're supposed to serve the good wine, the best stuff, at, front, at the beginning of the wedding, and then you serve the poorer wine later. But he says, you have, you have saved the good wine until now. And, and it, it, he puts that fault or that blame on the, on the bridegroom, which means that it apparently was his responsibility to provide the wine. So the thing I want you to appreciate is this. Jesus has taken on a burden for the bridegroom that he doesn't even know about. He doesn't even know how Jesus has stood in his place here. Here is a problem that this man has, a crisis that he has. He doesn't even know that the crisis exists, and yet Jesus has already come and stood in his place. I mean, isn't that the story of the gospel? Him him coming in our place, him taking what we messed up, taking what others broke, and and he, he he becoming the healer, he becoming the fix for that. Him becoming the one who is the substitute for us, for where we failed, for where we missed it, for where, for where we didn't measure up. He, he shoulders the burden that should have been ours, that, that, but we can't, we, can't, we can't shoulder it now because, it's, because we're sinners, because it's broken. And, and nobody can fix it but, he, but Him. He's the only one that can stand in our place. And so what I admire from this story is that, is that we learn here that Jesus is bearing burdens that we don't even know. Jesus is bearing burdens that we don't even know. He did that for this man, and I, and I know that He's doing it for me right now. And I know that He's doing it for you too. I mean, there are, there are probably times in our life where Jesus, where Jesus stepped in, and we, we won't even know until glory, like just exactly what all He did what all He accomplished in order to rescue something from a crisis that we didn't even know was coming. And maybe there are ways that we look back and we see, we see some of the providential things that He's done in our life when He rescued us from our sin, when He taught our family the gospel, when, when, he, when he introduced us to our spouse, when He, when, when he brought the, that, that, that gave us the wonderful family that we have, when He surrounded us with people who, who, who love us better than we deserve. Maybe we, can, maybe we can see providentially some of the favor that He's shown us, but I, I dare say that there's a lot of favor and a lot of grace that God has shown us that we don't even recognize. And God, open our eyes so that we can see it. 
and appreciate how good you are in our life. And maybe you've not stopped to even contemplate that, but maybe just saying that will just open your eyes more to look around and see just how good He's been in your life. To count your blessings, to enumerate the, the way in which Jesus has done that for you. Or, or maybe that you'll be more conscious or more aware of that. But I know He's doing that. And I know that He's done that. And I know that He'll do that some more. Jesus is bearing burdens that we don't even know. And that is part of the theme even that John is setting us up for, even as we see this story at the beginning of the week of Jesus' ministry. Uh, how, did the story of, uh, how did the story of creation end? I mean, it, it ends with, with the Sabbath rest, but right before that, the climax is a wedding, is it not? The thing that gets elaborated in, in, in Genesis chapter 2 is the story of how Man recognizes that he's alone. He sees something that's missing in his life. God takes him through that kind of like educational event where he recognizes his loneliness that, that there is for every other creature, as Adam names them all, there's, there's a mate, but there is no mate for him. And so when God allows him to be conscious of that, then he, then he, then he puts him to sleep. And he, he wakes up to discover that the thing that he was missing in his life, God has provided for him. God is bearing a burden that he doesn't even know and is answering that burden and, and giving him a wonderful solution in, in, in the creation of Eve. And so the first song ever sung in the Bible is the love song that Adam proclaims when he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman, uh, when God makes Eve for him. And the, the climax of this first week of Jesus' ministry is a, a wedding celebration. Uh, there, is a, there is some, uh, some similarity in kind of what ha- what's happening with Jesus and what happened with Adam because Jesus is, uh, I mean, his, who, who, is his, who is his bride? It's us, right? It's his disciples. And what we find in this opening week is Jesus is courting his, uh, his future bride. He's going to be the groom. This isn't his hour yet, but it's going to be his hour in time. And so here, here his, wedding feast is, his wedding feast is coming. But I want you to think about, I want you to think about how all celebrations, going all the way back to this first celebration of man and wife, have been spoiled by sin. The union of man and woman, rather than being something that would be a great blessing, uh, the, the pair end up hiring together in sin and not trusting God. And it's all undone. That, that, that first beginning, that first week, was all spoiled in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. And so here it comes, the one who's not only going to stand in the place of this bridegroom on this particular celebration day, but here is the man who's come, here is the man, the God-man who has come, who's going to stand in the place of Adam, uh, who, 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 who failed in that first creation. Here's one who's going, to, who's going to come and stand in his place in the new beginning. And he's going to fix all the things that were broken. So many times where, we, where, we, where we, we have these great things that happen in our life, they, the, 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 the small things, like we talked about, all escalate into these big things. And, and something we thought was going to be so good, something that we thought was going to be such a blessing, 
I mean, it ends up being destroyed because of our sin. Or, or even when there are good things that persist, there is still this there are still these scabs. There's still this uncleanness. There's still this unpleasantness. There's still some things that keep our celebration from being total because of sin. But here's the one that's going to take all of that and he's going to make it right. He can fix it. Can you think of another prophet, another messenger sent by God who did something with water, turned it into something else? You remember that one of Moses' first signs was when he was in Egypt and when he took the water, poured, took the water out of the Nile and poured it out and the water was turned into blood. I mean, here's the one that's going to stand in Moses' place. And he's going to do way more than Moses did. Moses had a great ministry. He, he, he had an important ministry. It was an important step in God's purpose. But ultimately, Moses' ministry was a ministry that brought condemnation. It brought death. It brought blood. But I want you to see that Jesus is, is, he is he's the one that's greater than Moses, just like he's greater than Adam, just like he's greater than David, just like he's greater than Nehemiah the restorer, just like he's greater than Elijah the messenger, just like he's greater than all of those heroes, just like he's greater than Samson the strong man. I mean, here's the one who is the one that all of those leaders pointed to. Here's the one that's going to stand in the place of all of their cumulative, as good as they did. They were all sinners. They all failed. Here is the one who ultimately is going to stand in their place and fulfill what the purpose of God is all about. He's the one that's going to bring celebration. He's the one that's going to bring rest. He's the one that's going to fix it. He's the one that's going to bring the new creation. He's the one that's going to make it all right. Brothers and sisters, whatever it is, Jesus can fix it. And that is something to celebrate. That is something to be happy about. However messy it is, however ugly it is, He can fix it. He can make it right. Because He didn't just come to stand in the place of this bridegroom or Moses or Adam. He came to stand in your place, brother, and in your place, sister, to take on the burden of our sin that we didn't even know, that we were oblivious to. And that He came to open our eyes so that we could see what He's done for us. And oh, has He done it. Uh, this, uh, this miracle was done with the water, water that they would, uh, that was gray water, where the people washed their hands. So there were these uh, six water pots, 20 or 30 gallons each. And so that's about, you know, that's about a trash can size, right? About what you have in your garage or maybe the smaller trash can you might have in your, probably not that big in your, in your kitchen. But, but a 20 or 30 gallon trash can is what you ought to picture. And it's made of stone. So 150, 180 gallons of water. And, uh, but, but when the people came to the wedding feast, I don't know how many were there. If there, if there, were, if there were 100, a couple hundred, I, I don't know how many guests there were, but I expect it was a large crowd. And, and so, so as the people came and as they'd been traveling before they ate, and the, the people are washing their hands in this water, washing their feet perhaps in, the, in this water. And so this is water that if we were to pour it out on the ground, there would be sludge in the bottom of it. And there would be stuff floating in the top. And from the top to the bottom of it, there'd be all kinds of stuff in between. It'd be hazy, gray water. 
And, and, and that's the water that Jesus tells the servants to go and dip out of. That, that's, those are the water pots that he goes and he tells them to fill it up to the brim and to dip a little out and to take it to the master of the ceremonies so that he can, that he can take a sip from it. Now, do, do, you, do you appreciate how this sign is showing us what Jesus can do? I mean, he can take the collective muck and grime He can take the collective uncleanness of all the guests that are there, and not just the guests that are there, but He can take the collective muck and grime and all the stuff that that has dirtied our hands, all the things that has grimed our feet, all the things that we've tracked around in the world because of our sin, because of my sin, Jesus can take all of that and He can turn it into something good. He can make it something to celebrate because He can take it all away. And that's what he's doing for them here. So the, the last lesson that I want us to get from this text is the message again that Mary speaks as she talks to these servants. Uh, after Jesus has made the remark in verse 4, uh, my hour has not yet come to his mother, his mom knows that, she's not, that he's not blowing her off. And so Mary says to them, to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Because she knows that her son is going to take care of it. She knows that he's trustworthy. And so, can you imagine being the servant and Jesus says, the first thing he says is, go get some water and fill up these pots. Really? I mean, where everybody's been washing their hands? I hope nobody's looking, you know. They go, they go and they get water, bail some water, and they bring it and they... They, they pour it into the pots. They fill it to the brim. And then he says, and would you want to be the servant that was told to like dip a glass in there in that gray water, D- dip the cup in there and take it to the head waiter? Really? I mean, that, that, that's my job? That's, you're, that's what you're asking me to do is to take it to him? And, and, but he does. Mary says, whatever he says to you, do it. And, and then they obey. And, and when they come, the, 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 the head waiter and the bridegroom, they are, they are oblivious to what it is that's just take, taking place, but the disciples know and the servants know where this water came from. And they see what Jesus did with it. Do you believe, do you believe that Jesus can take your burdens and turn them into blessings? Do, do, you, do you believe that He is bearing burdens that you don't even know? Do you believe that because He cares, you can too? If you believe that, if you really trust Him, then could I say to you what Mary said to the servants? Whatever He says to you, do it. That's the big takeaway here, isn't it? Whatever He says to you, do it. We can trust Him. Whatever He's calling you to do, brother, do it. Whatever He's calling on you to do, sister, do it. If you can read it in His Word and you know that He's expecting it of you, do it. You can trust Him. You can count on Him. And and it may look impossible. It might look ridiculous. You might really think, can He really take this mess and make something good? Yes, He can. That's exactly what He did. And this gospel of faith 
is intended to, 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 to cause us to ascend to, to that kind of faith, that kind of trust in Him, that whatever He says to us, let's do it. Because we can trust Him. Because we know that He will exceed our expectations. Uh, do you have a big pot of dirty water in your heart today? that you need Jesus to take away and make it a source of celebration? Do you need someone that stands in, to stand in your place? Do you need Jesus to stand in your place and master the burden that has mastered you? I tell you, you can bring it to Him. No matter how big it is, you can bring it to Him and know that He cares. And He can take, he can take all that sludge, all of that that's impossible for anyone to do anything with, and He can make it good. He can make it clean. Jesus can fix it. Won't you come to Him this morning if you're not a Christian? Won't you bring Him the burden of your sin and, and watch what He does with it? Watch how He takes it away. Won't you, won't you come as together we stand and as we sing? Oh.